everyone. Welcome to the True Path Podcast. Today we are in session two of our study in 1 Peter. We'll be discussing chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. So I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Operation Christmas Child Project. It's a ministry of Samaritan's Purse. They recruit volunteers to pack shoeboxes filled with small toys, hygiene items, and school supplies. And they ship these shoeboxes all over the world to children affected by war, poverty, natural disaster, famine, and disease as a means of reaching out to children in their own communities with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, my kids look forward every Christmas to packing up their shoebox of gifts, looking for the perfect toy, the right color toothbrush, the best pencils. Now, they had no idea who would be receiving their gift, and they didn't know exactly when they would be receiving the gift, but that didn't matter. My kids still took time and energy and great care in picking out just the right items to go into their boxes. Even though they didn't know the details of how the gift would be delivered, they still worked hard on the gift because they knew it was special and was really going to benefit someone in the near future. Well, on a much grander scale, Peter's going to tell us in today's passage about some people who worked really hard on preparing a gift for people they didn't know for some time in the future. They were the prophets, and their gift was a prophetic message of the coming Messiah and salvation. They dedicated themselves to bringing this message because they understood how beneficial it was. And you and I live on the other side of that prophecy because we have experienced salvation through Jesus, and we can know the benefits of having a relationship with him. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 16 in the CSB. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. So verse 10 says concerning this salvation. Now this refers back to verse 9, which says, For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It says the prophets searched intently with great care to discover the timing and circumstances under which Messiah would come, bringing salvation to all people. There are many prophecies concerning the arrival of Messiah and his salvation in Scripture. Isaiah 7.14, Micah 5.2, Hosea 11.1, Psalm 72.14-17, Daniel 9.25-26, just to name a few. And not only did the Spirit of Christ testify to the prophets about his arrival, but also about his sufferings and the glory that would follow. See Isaiah 53. So why would it be important for the prophets of the Old Testament to know about Christ's sufferings? Well, we have to remember the Jews expected Messiah to come as a conquering king 
who would overthrow the oppressive government so they could live in peace and prosperity forever. And I believe Jesus wanted them to know that the conquering king that they were expecting is in reality going to be a suffering servant. I think Jesus wanted them to know this and be prepared for it, that things might be different than what they might expect. But also through Jesus' sufferings, we can know that we don't serve a Lord who is unfamiliar with our hurt and difficulty, because he hurt too. He knows what we're going through, and he also knows the very best way to help. Now, verse 12 says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. So Peter's also making the point that the spirit of Jesus revealed to the prophets that their intense searching for the details of Messiah's arrival wasn't for their benefit, but for ours. They were speaking about things that would take place in the future. And now that Jesus has come, Peter and the rest of the apostles are continuing their message by preaching the gospel. So he is making a clear connection here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Spirit of Christ was with the prophets as they foretold about the coming Messiah, and the Holy Spirit indwells the apostles as they preach the gospel message. So we can know that Jesus Christ is indeed Messiah because we can read the Messianic prophecies from the Old Testament and compare them to the New Testament and see how they line up. We can rely on what we read in the Old Testament and we can rely on what we read in the New because both are the inspired words of God. Now, verse 12 also says that the angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Now, from the original Greek, it means to stoop and look intently. Our relationship with Jesus is different than even the angels who come and go before the very presence of God. So knowing that we have been given something so unique and special that even angels long to catch a glimpse of it, our salvation and relationship with Jesus, I mean, how should we live in light of this knowledge? Well, verse 13 tells us, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love the King James rendering of this verse. It says, To gird up the loins of your mind. Now, in biblical times, the phrase gird up your loins meant to gather up the long folds of your robe and to tuck them into the belt, thus freeing up the legs, making it easier to travel. The expression signified that the person was ready for service. Gird up your loins is kind of like our modern day expression of roll up your sleeves. So Peter was telling them and us to prepare ourselves for action by preparing our minds. Now, why the mind? Well, because our mental attitudes are the roots from which our behaviors grow. I mean, have you ever done something without thinking? What were the results? Well, for me, it was usually regret. Our minds can become battlefields in which thoughts of guilt, shame, or self-doubt can cause us to become vulnerable to Satan's attacks. I think the mind is Satan's primary target because if he can tempt us into thinking that God can't or won't provide for us or that God doesn't care about us, then that destroys our witness because why follow a God who isn't there for me? So I think the devil tries to get us to think wrong things about God and I think he wants us to think wrong things about himself. I think the devil is perfectly fine with people not taking him seriously. 
because then he has more freedom to wreak havoc and cause chaos because no one take no one's taking notice of him our defenses are down but what does second corinthians 10 3 through 5 say although we live in the flesh we don't wage war according to the flesh the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but are powerful through god for the demolition of strongholds we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. I think these verses put to rest the idea that our thoughts aren't important. I mean, I'm sure you've all heard someone say, well, it was just a thought. I mean, I would never act on it. As long as if they don't act on it, they can think whatever they want. But if our thoughts are harmless, then why must they be taken captive? So Peter calls us to be sober-minded, which is having a sound mind, to be temperate, to exercise self-control. But how do we become sober-minded and prepared for action? Well, I believe Romans 12:2 tells us, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. And we can renew our minds through Bible study and prayer. So we need to get our mindset and we need to get our hope set. We need to set our hope completely on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter has made it very clear that we have already been given abundant grace by God in giving us a new birth into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection, as he said in verse 3. But that's not the end of God's abundant grace to us, because the fullness of God's grace and the work of grace in our lives will not be complete until Jesus comes back again. Now, what a beautiful and joyous thing we have to look forward to. I mean, think for a moment about all the ways in your life that God has shared his grace with you. Now imagine him whispering in your ear, you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, imagine what the return of Jesus will be like, experiencing the fullness of his glory and grace. How unimaginably exciting that will be. And the best way to respond to this knowledge is to set our hope on it. We can set our hope on it because Jesus is coming back. His return is a certainty. Now, verses 14 through 16 continue to say, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. So don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, meaning don't go back to living the way you did before you became saved, when you lived in ignorance. Before we placed our faith and trust in Jesus, we were ignorant. We thought and acted the way we did because we didn't know any better. But now we do. As Christians, we have been called to a higher standard because we have been, been brought from death to life, as John 5.24 tells us. We not only have been called to a higher standard, but we have been called to the ultimate standard, holiness. Verse 16 says, be holy because I am holy. Now, Peter's quoting from Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45 here, where God tells Israel, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Again, in verse 45, he says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. Now, why does God hold his children to the standard of holiness? Well, because he is our God, and he is holy. 
and as his children, we should be like him. Now, not every child should follow in their father's footsteps, because there are some pretty bad fathers out there, and so following them would only cause the child harm and heartache. But God is the perfect father. He is the best at everything, in every way. And so following in his footsteps can only bring fulfillment and completeness to his children. So what does God mean by the word holy? Well, when I was a kid, I was sometimes teased for being a holier-than-thou or a goody-two-shoes. But is that really what holiness is? I mean, being a good person? There are a lot of unbelievers out there who are very good people. I think the key can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. that says, So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit and bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. And see, I think that's the key, in the fear of God. That's what I believe differentiates goodness from holiness. We set ourselves apart from sins and fleshly behaviors because of our reverence for God. It's about motivation. We separate ourselves from sinful ways not because we want to be good, but because we want to be like God. That is what holiness is setting ourselves apart unto God. So why are we doing what we're doing? I mean, are we motivated to do what we do out of a reverence for God? So God tells us to be holy because he is holy. But I mean, in all reality, is that really an attainable goal? I mean, can we really be like God? I mean, we all know none of us is perfect and never will be on this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean that we still shouldn't try and strive to be holy. I mean, just because the target's hard to reach doesn't mean we shouldn't aim for it. Paul says in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. You see, as we strive for holiness by obeying God's word and modeling our lives after Jesus, we become more and more like him. Every step we take toward the goal gets us closer to it and results in a deeper, closer relationship with Jesus. The closer our relationship with Jesus becomes, the more we are able to see him working in our lives and others will be drawn to Christ because of what they see in you. Ten years from now, how many people's lives will have been influenced because of your continual striving for holiness? So practically speaking, I mean, how can we be holy in all our conduct, as verse 15 describes? I mean, how do we exhibit holiness when the car breaks down, when the kids are sick, when the bills are piling up, and you're late for work? I mean, sure, it's easy to be holy on Sunday morning, but what about Monday afternoon? Well, I believe holiness isn't just about what we do, but how we do it. The mundane, tedious chores of life are unavoidable. But it's in how we perform those duties that makes the difference, in my opinion. I mean, if rather than complaining and grumbling about our problems, we adopt an attitude of thankfulness for the blessings that we do have, if we focus on Jesus instead of the negative, then those tedious and mundane moments can become holy moments, moments in which our minds are being renewed and we are being transformed. God gives us moments every day to practice holiness. May we start taking advantage of those opportunities. Because the more holiness is displayed in our lives, the more others will take notice. 
God calls for holiness because he knows the tremendous benefits that this has for us. God never calls us to do something that isn't for our benefit. It will strengthen us, help us to become more confident in his goodness and provision, and will draw others to him. And most importantly, it brings glory to his name. So the challenge as we close is to pray for opportunities to exhibit holiness in our daily lives, whether by adjusting our attitudes and responses to certain situations, or perhaps spending more time in God's Word. Striving for holiness will reap eternal benefits. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.